0: Uh, aside from the logistics, New Orleans people heading to Birmingham to watch their team. Birmingham, Alabama. Exactly. You have so many LSU fans in New Orleans, exactly. it doesn't make sense on multiple levels. <laughs> It's time for the Brew and
1: Shavers Sports Podcast. Coming at you every week to talk all the things that make us love sports. The games, the rivalries, and of course, the personalities. We are stoked that you are listening.
0: Uh, we believe that you're more than listeners. Uh, to quote Brian Kelly, you're family. And we're glad <laughs> that you're listening to us. Absolutely. Welcome back, sports fans, to a brand new episode of the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. Some people have a doomsday clock countdown. Some people have a Christmas countdown. Darren has a college football countdown. And let's start off by telling everybody, Darren, how many days till the kickoff of the college football season?
1: I opened the doors on the football advent calendar, and it says (laughs) 131. (laughs) Only 131 days to go. Are there
0: chocolates in there?
1: It is. It's... Wish it was 131 chocolates, but it's probably a good thing that it's not. It's, a, it's a little chocolate footballs. You remember those? They were wrapped like a football. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect.
0: We are counting down to the return of college football, but we've got a lot to talk about before that return happens. Starting off with SEC baseball in the top 25 this week. Uh, here's a, here's a rundown of SEC teams. We're just going to keep it within the top 10. LSU is is maintaining its hold on number one. Florida at number three, Vanderbilt at number four, Arkansas at five, South Carolina at six, and then you have to go back a ways down Tennessee at 20, and I know there's some discrepancy between the D1 baseball poll, the coaches poll for USA Today, but but that's roughly where those SEC teams fall, and Darren, anything that surprises you in these rankings, or is it about what you expected?
1: Well, I think it's about what you expect, but at the same time, it's, it's interesting to me that LSU, their, their preseason was so incredible. They just destroyed anyone in their path, or not preseason, pre-conference. But now that they're in conference play, they have a winning record in conference play, but they're actually not even the number one team in the West Conference. Arkansas is actually sitting at number one in the Western Conference with an 11-4 SEC record. And they're still, they were so strong. During that pre-conference schedule, that, that that I mean, it's not even a debate. If you just kind of assume they're going to be number one, I mean, they would have to really have an ugly weekend. I mean, they would have to get you know, I don't know, get swept by Ole Miss, you know, who's sitting there awful at three and twelve uh, with pitching issues. That's I think that's the only way that LSU is going to be out of the, the number one spot. But, you know, if you look at it, you've got LSU, you've got Vanderbilt, you've got Arkansas, you've got Florida. I mean, those are your top four teams across the conference. Um, some might say it's worth mentioning when you look just strictly at conference record. Vanderbilt is far and away the leader of the entire conference at 13-2. and two. But anyway, some might see that as a necessary <laughs> mention. But uh, they had a great Weekend against South Carolina, one two of three, and South Carolina is another strong team that really is not breaking into that top ten, but they're sitting there with a ten and four conference record, an overall record of thirty and six. I mean, there is some unbelievable strength uh, in the conference, and you can see it reflected in that top that top twenty five, and how many teams are in the top ten.
0: Expectations are so high yep. for for not just LSU, but these, these other SEC teams that, that are in the, in the top five, top six, you could also argue expectations pretty high for Tennessee, yep. even though they're not uh, up as high. Yeah. And the question really is, Darren, it seems like everyone measures the success of their season. Are you going to go to Omaha? Exactly. And, and you know, when you look
1: at Florida is kind of iffy. Probably doesn't make Florida Hamp fans very happy. But in my opinion, Florida is kind of iffy. But I think as long as Vanderbilt, uh, Vanderbilt, Alabama, LSU, if Florida were to finish strong, because they're at 30-7 and 7 overall record, if, if Florida were to finish strong and if South Carolina were to finish strong, you could have as many as five SEC schools that are going to host all the way through, regional, super regional. And, I mean, that really does help pave a path or at least open the door. Maybe it doesn't pave a path, but at least open a door to Omaha. So I think it's really a possibility that there's going to be enough SEC teams sitting in Omaha this year that it's going to make other schools just about as mad as the 14 playoff in football does. I really – because I think it's very, very possible that a Kentucky, um, maybe an A&M, they've kind of struggled a little bit with their bats. But, you know, I think there's still a couple of schools that could also sneak in and, and, you know, end up in a Super Regional – and, and, then, and then went out because of the, the their bats. And, you know, when you get outside the SEC, there's still good pitching. But, man, the pitching in the conference this year is just ridiculous. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if a Kentucky, a South Carolina, somebody like that gets into a super regional, faces pitching that's not on the same scale as what you're used to in the SEC, and their bats just come alive, and, and they end up punching a ticket to Omaha. I think it's a very real
0: possibility. Still early on in the college baseball yep. season, a lot can happen, and so much has to do with who hits momentum S. at the right time. And we will continue to watch it. it you know, when the, when spring comes around, Darren, and and the weather is so gorgeous, you yeah. have your cool mornings, your cool evenings, your warm afternoons. You just feel like you want to go to a baseball game.
1: It, it just—it's it, a beautiful thing when there's a little bit of a breeze in the air. Oh, it just screams baseball. Doesn't matter what it is—college baseball, minor league baseball, high school baseball, for that matter. Just sit out and see the the, the field and, and hear the. There's just something about the ball hitting the, the, the catcher's mitt. That is such an incredible sound.
0: Every every day I drive by little league fields. And sometimes at night I'll look over and there's games going on. Absolutely, part of me just wants to stop,
1: yep. go, sit on the bleachers,
0: <laughs> get some something from concessions, and oh. just just watch some baseball.
1: You know, there's something about a ballpark cheeseburger. Just like to say that. I mean, that's really. It's hard to get past the hot dog. dog well, no, that's true. But I, you know, if you're if you're going to like little league ball, something to me, I'm a cheeseburger guy. <laughs> now, when you start to get into to major league ball, you got to have a hot dog. Yeah. It's just the way it is.
0: Yeah, well, typically, Little League ball, they're, they're cooking the cheeseburgers out on the grill behind that's, the concession See, that's stand. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> well, let's move on to some talk about football. The XFL is nearing the end of its season, and the playoffs are looming. And, Darren, what does the playoff picture look like for the XFL?
1: Uh, not a whole lot has changed, honestly. The two teams that are there, you know that they've got their spot. The DC Defenders still only one loss. Uh, they obviously have secured their spot in the North, and the Houston Roughnecks actually at six and three overall, but they have secured their spot in the South. The second spot in each division has become much more up for grabs. Uh, the St. Louis Battlehawks have been playing very very strong and are now at six and three with uh, the. Seattle Sea Dragons, but they hold the, the uh, tiebreaker. So, if the season ended today, this, the St. Louis Battlehawks have now played themselves into that second playoff position in the North, North Division, and the Renegades have not done what they need to do <laughs> to secure their spot. They are now sitting at four and five. They had a chance to win a couple of games, really improve their stock, but uh, they have instead started to slide backwards a little bit and the San Antonio Brahmas have picked up their pace a little bit. So it, it's it's such a short season, it's hard to get your head wrapped around the fact that a 3-6 and six team is potentially playing themselves into the playoff spot, but, but that is definitely the, the case. It depends on uh, how all the games this weekend shake out, and, and it will be a final who plays who or, or who wins their games this week that decides who has the second spot in each one. I honestly think kind of the way it's stand now is the way it'll end up. It'll probably be D.C. or definitely D.C. and then St. Louis from the north and then um, Houston and Arlington from the south. But it'll be interesting to see how those games, especially the. to me the more interesting of the two is the St. Louis and Seattle because both those teams have winning records uh, and are playing some pretty good football. Don't know that you can really say that about Arlington or um, San Antonio right now, but. They still are playing for a playoff position. So next weekend's games will tell us the tale of who's going to make the playoffs.
0: And it's interesting to see teams that were playing so poorly improving. Yeah. And you want to see that from a competitive element. But I think it was, didn't Seattle play St. Louis this past weekend? Yes. And just pummel them? Yep. So Seattle really seems to be putting the pieces together. They they really do.
1: And, and you know, I think... I think part of what happens when you've got such a short season and everybody is kind of feeling their way through it, I think part of what happens is coaching starts to come through. I think the guys that have talent, you know, you just got a talented roster, a good draft or whatever it was, I think those guys, that's who really kind of sets the pace the first few weeks. But now you get on the back end of the schedule – Everybody's catching up, and now it's coaching and scheme that kind of – and I think you can see that with Seattle. So it's been, been interesting to watch. And, 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 you know, they could end up slipping into that spot, um, which they would have their argument, especially with the way they performed this past week. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the weekend's games play out.
0: And while the XFL is moving toward their playoffs – the USFL is just getting going, and we have more information about the USFL. I know you've been watching the games oh, there. Oh, yes, you're yes, excited. yes, But before we get to the USFL coverage, let's stop and pause for this week in sports history. April 19th. 1897, the first Boston Marathon is run. John Graham, a member of the inaugural U.S. Olympic team, was inspired by the success of the first marathon at the 1896 Summer Olympics and decided to organize the event. The race was originally called the American Marathon and was the final event of the Boston Athletic Association Games. The course was 24.5 miles long and a field of 15 entered to run. The winner was John J. McDermott with a winning time of 2 hours and 55 minutes and 10 seconds. Oh, thank you. Darren, I know you've been chomping at the bit to talk about the USFL on this episode because you love the brand of football that this league uh, showcases every week when they're in season, and the games have kicked off. I watched a little bit. I watched a little bit of the mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh Maulers versus the New Orleans Breakers game. It ended up being a competitive game. Yes, very much so. Uh, the, the, the Pittsburgh team found yet another way to lose a football game. <laughs>
1: Keeping the tradition alive. (laughs) Maybe they should stick to the Steelers and the NFL. No
0: kidding. But it it seems to be, uh, at least this first week, a pretty pretty competitive uh, league. And so, Darren, uh, talk a little bit about uh, what you saw this week. Anything surprised you? What are you looking forward to? Give us the USFL breakdown. Well, I tell you, one of the first things that stuck out in my head watching, and of course, uh watched a little bit
1: of all the games. Uh, some of it was just kind of scrubbing through it, you know, and I'd, I'd watch certain segments and stuff, but tried to watch a little bit of, of all the games. And I tell you the thing we talked about last week that kind of stuck out in my head is I really think you see a little bit of a, a, pay, a, a case of some elevated play. You can see that there are guys that this is their second year. Uh, they're getting into the system. They are familiar with the system. It's their second year with a lot of these their, their teammates with the same coach and, and you could see the team, the play elevated it seems like some of the, um, the sloppy penalties that we saw last year, especially in the first couple of weeks and even this year in the XFL. Um, and some of those we're still seeing, but it seemed like those weren't as prevalent. Uh, now there were still some issues, you know, missed kicks and some, some silly stuff like that, that happens anytime that you play football. It's just the way it is. But I, I think the overall level of play is elevated. Uh, and so that's good to see. That's exactly what you want to see. That's the only way they're going to sustain. Uh, but, you, you know, the, the ones you expected to win for the most part did. That I guess that is kind of the one downside. You still kind of see this these tears. Now, I will say uh, the Panthers, uh, the, the Michigan Panthers, did win this week. So that's, you know, maybe they're shaking off the legacy of Jeff Fisher. Uh, so <laughs> they were able to get a win. Uh, but you know the, the the stars won, the generals lost. That was a little bit surprising. But the Birmingham Stallions won, the New Orleans Breakers won. Um, unfortunately for the Houston Gamblers, they're kind of on the same path they were last year. Uh, and the Memphis Showboats did not have the uh, the debut that they were hoping for. Um, but it was still it was a competitive game. You know they only lost the game by four points, uh, so you got to give them that. But um, it still wasn't what they were looking for, but but some still, you, you know, the overall margin of victory outside of, you know, the the Michigan win, that was that was a pretty pretty resounding win over the Gamblers, but but outside of that, some pretty close competitive games. So that was a really great
0: thing to see. There's a couple of things I, I, I like about what the USFL is doing. The the first one has to go has to deal with one particular team. I'm so glad the Pittsburgh Maulers changed their colors to reflect. The, the black and, and yellow uh, of of all the Pittsburgh sports teams. Right. right. So that was a good move on yep. their part. The second good move, I think, for the league as a whole is expanding to different sites. Last year, all the games were played in Birmingham. Birmingham. This year, Birmingham, Memphis, Detroit, and Canton. Mm-hmm. And you basically have two teams playing at all their games at each of those sites. Correct. Now. That's still not ideal, right. Darren, because if you caught any of the New Orleans game, the stadium in Birmingham looked virtually empty. Absolutely. Not a whole lot of, of fan yeah. support there. So what do you think about the expansion to four sites, and, um, and then what do you think about the possibility of further expansion? And before you say that, I love the fact that they're playing games in Canton, where the yeah, Pro Football Hall of Fame exactly. is. exactly. I, I think that's see. a brilliant move on their part. But, but what do you think about the, the whole expansion?
1: Well, first of all, you know, we talked last week about the fact that the um, the Canton hub was really an active hub with a lot of attendance to things. Even the open practices were getting a lot of attendance. I hope, uh, kind of skipping over the first part and going to the second part of the question first, I hope when it does come time for for uh, further expansion that that there is a even if they call it the Ohio whatever, that there's a Canton team. I, I think that I think that would be a really missed opportunity because you can pull from a lot of that area and, and not just depend on Canton as a market. Um, and I think it would be such a draw because it would be so unique in that area to have a home team that's, that's the base of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think that's a real positive. I hope they pay attention to that, and I hope they do that when it comes time to expand to maybe 10 teams or, you know, 12 teams, whatever that is outside of that, going back to the first part of the question, I'm I'm glad that they have expanded just like you said to at least four, uh, host hubs. I do feel like they missed some opportunities. Uh, I think it was a smart move to use Detroit as a hub, uh, because that's a large, that's a large market to pull from. Um, I think it's kind of an odd – oh, and let me say this first. Uh, we have talked two or three times about the Orlando team. No longer – it was Tampa. The USFL did not have an Orlando team. It was a Tampa team. They were the Tampa Bandits. That hit me actually this weekend. It was like, ah. So anyway, so I think it's a little odd that Tampa moves to uh, Memphis, and in the same year they also become a host hub. I think that's because you haven't built the base. It's the first year for the team. It's the first year for the... To me, it would have made a little more sense to make that that fourth and final hub New Orleans. And you could have even had New Orleans and Memphis there together instead of New Orleans being based in Birmingham and pull the other Memphis team into Birmingham. To me, that would have pulled on a much larger larger market that had an opportunity uh, to pull uh, from from bigger areas. And it would have made more sense, uh, especially now that New Orleans Tulane has their own stadium. So you're not going to be playing in, you know, 80,000, you know, whatever it is in, in the um, the Superdome. Is that right? Superdome? Yeah, the, the Superdome. Um, <clears throat> so that, that made it an easier move. At the same time, I see the plan and it makes sense to me because they built TV audience last year. And you know there were some moments where the the, the the attendance was pretty decent in person last year, especially when it was Michigan playing Philly, and in, in, you're in Birmingham, Alabama. But there was still some decent attendance, so I think it's just another one of those pieces of you're just going to have to kind of wait it out. You know, it's going to look a little ugly when the non-host team is playing in that host hub, but there. From the initial, what I've seen so far, and a lot of this is just what you call overnight numbers, so they're not overly dependable. But the overnight numbers are actually pretty good. They're pacing right with the XFL, um, which is a positive thing. Uh, you know, you wonder if there was going to be a little bit of drop off because they had some some TV competition this year. But both leagues seem to be pacing right along the same space. You know, somewhere in that million to a million and a half viewers per game. Which is, I mean, those, those are good numbers to be able to pull uh, for a spring uh, football league. So those are good numbers.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with your point about the the hubs. Memphis has a lot to offer. Right. It, it's a big city. There, there's a lot there. Beale Street and, mm-hmm. and so many things in that area. If you, if you love Bass Pro, you got the Bass Pro Pyramid and on and on. But New Orleans is a travel destination. Exactly. And so I think it's on a whole nother level Mm -hmm. than Memphis, with no disrespect to Memphis at all, but so many people come through New Orleans, and I can't help but thinking, Darren, that New Orleans is a hub. You get people say, hey, we're following our USFL team. They're playing Mm -hmm. in New Orleans. Hey, you ever been to New Orleans? I haven't been to New Orleans. Let's make a a weekend of it, because it's such an incredible city. And I think there's a much
1: larger possibility that when you put those two, let's say we take just like we talked about, New Orleans and Memphis, and we put them in New Orleans. Which do you think is a larger probability? That people in New Orleans are going to say, oh, well, let's head to Birmingham to catch a game. Or people in Memphis will say, let's head to New Orleans to catch a game. It, to me, that's a no-brainer. I, I think the second one is what's going to happen 99 times out of 100, as opposed to you know people in New Orleans now heading to Birmingham. I just
0: don't. Uh, aside from the logistics, New Orleans people heading to Birmingham <laughs> to watch their team. Birmingham, Alabama. Exactly. You have so many LSU fans in New Orleans. Exactly. It, it doesn't make sense on multiple levels. <laughs> well, it's, I'm trying to think what's that interstate that comes out of
1: Alabama into Mississippi and then I 20? No, it's the one on the south, fifty nine or whatever. fifty nine. You know that's the, the that's the New Orleans joke. The only thing good to ever come out of Alabama was fifty nine south. So <laughs> so that people aren't running to Alabama from New Orleans, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah fifty nine. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking of you know coming to where we live in the part of the state. We'd come down you know I twenty, but
1: well, and that's what we have. That's the way we have to tell you. Yeah.
0: The only good thing to come out of Mississippi is twenty west, right? That's well, <laughs> well, you're just. <laughs> Darren has offended <laughs> Alabama folks, Mississippi oh, folks. Here. I'll
1: make it up for Alabama. The only good thing to ever come out of Tennessee is 65 South. Is that because that, that goes to Alabama.
0: <laughs> I'm sure there's some stories down south about this, but I remember hearing a story years ago about Woody Hayes, the uh, the famed coach at Ohio mm-hmm. State, uh-huh. that he refused to spend any money in Michigan. <laughs> I he would that. he would get his gas everything he needed in Ohio, and and wait and get back to Ohio before yeah. for spending any type of money.
1: Well, yeah. In the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, where I grew up with or where I grew up, the way that was all put into one phrase was, "Well, I didn't lose anything there." That was the way you described you places you didn't want. To so when it comes to Michigan, Woody Hayes, he didn't lose anything there. He's good. He doesn't have to.
0: Now, I know of one listener we have who's a huge Ohio State fan. So, Doug, if you're listening to this podcast, I need you to fact check me on that story. I've ventured That's into right. unknown territory. I want to make sure. So, if, if if I got anything wrong or left anything out, please uh, send me a note. Uh, let us know, uh, and you can you can correct it or add whatever whatever we left out. Yes. So earlier today, Darren, you found an interesting tweet. Yes entitled Wide Receiver U with a question mark, and it had a list of the most wide receivers drafted since 2000 by school. Now, toward the bottom, you had um, UCLA, Tennessee, Notre Dame, A&M, Michigan, Miami, Georgia, climbing up Florida State, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, USC, Florida, and at the top is LSU and Ohio State with 22 each wide receivers Taken in the NFL draft. And looking at this list, it's impressive. You have um, SEC, uh, Oklahoma, that's technically mm-hmm. Big 12. We're already right there, saying they SEC. Right, exactly. Uh, pretty dominant. And typically when you think of the SEC, you don't think of wide receivers. Right, absolutely. You think of a, a high, a bruising running game, yep. a tenacious defense. Tight ends. Tight ends. Yep. But... I thought this was fascinating that LSU is tied with Ohio State for the most wide receivers drafted since 2000. And you've got LSU,
1: Florida, Oklahoma, and Alabama right there in the top, in the mix. It's, that's really interesting. You're right. And your list must be different than mine. at Vanderbilt's. I mean, I wrote it in, but still there at the bottom. I just wanted to point that. out. Go ahead. Let's see.
0: Uh, on this list, UCLA was last with twelve. How yeah. many does Vanderbilt have? Uh, let's um, have uh, four. Four, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Missed it by
1: this much. But they were. They were. I see. I thought it was a ballot. It was my right in vote. And that's what.
0: <laughs> of course, uh, Ohio State fans will will talk about their guys. Right. Um. You know, they've had some great ones come out, and mm-hmm. and a couple this past year. Uh, or 2022 Garrett Wilson, Chris mm-hmm. Olave, who incidentally is playing for the Saints, Michael Thomas for the Saints, for the played, Saints it, played at Ohio State. I always um, think of Ted Ginn Jr.
1: That's one that jumps out to me.
0: Yeah, when I think of Ohio State wide receivers. Yeah he he was a, he was a good yep, one. Yep. Uh, Paris Campbell and and of course we're only going back to 2000. Right. So so some of the guys that you may be thinking of if you're we're not mentioning them that's they they came pre 2000. But when you flip it around and you look at LSU,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and think about the most recent ones, you have Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall Jr., mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson, yeah. and, and then you go down to some of the the lesser-known ones, um, Russell Gage and James Wright, Reuben Randall, and, and the familiar ones, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr. Jr., yeah, that was the first one that popped um, into my head. And then you think of guys like Michael Clayton and Devery Henderson. Of course, I I, I think probably the the best one is Josh Reed, probably the best wide receiver to ever come out of LSU. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, When you look at the numbers he put up, and especially when I think his first year he played, they pretty much put him in the running back role. Right. But I want to point out one issue I have with this, and I don't think it's a, a tie between LSU and Ohio State, and here's why. Okay. They have Braxton Miller listed as a wide receiver. Now, technically, that might be his position in the NFL, and maybe that's what they're basing it on. Mm -hmm. But Braxton Miller played quarterback at Ohio State. It was a big deal because he switched to wide receiver because he wanted to be drafted.
1: So they've only drafted 21 or had 21
0: drafted. SEC dominance again.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. They went from tied for first to barely better than Florida.
0: We might as well fit <laughs> everybody in Ohio now. <laughs> Alabama, Mississippi, Ohio. Who's next? We're, 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 Who's on the list? We, we will figure
1: someone out. We, <laughs> <laughs> we're taking names tonight. I think that's a very valid point because that's you know you can't to say someone was drafted in a position that they that they never played. That doesn't. Yeah, that's not a valid. It's probably somebody from the Big Ten that came up with this list. It's probably it's probably what happened. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know if it will help at all. I actually liked Braxton Miller as a yeah. quarterback at yeah. Ohio State.
1: Agree. Um,
0: but I understand they're looking at the position he's playing now, the position he was probably drafted for. Yeah. Teams viewed him as a wide receiver. So so I get that. But a very intriguing intriguing list. Um, yeah. as, as I started putting the, the list together of, and you you forget about players over time, right? Exactly. Like, um, you know, Brandon Niffel, uh, Trendon Holiday, uh, Early Doucette, Dwayne Bowe. Oh, I mean, yeah, Early Dusset—that's a great you name. Yeah, what a yeah, great yeah, name! Yeah. So uh, I thought it was pretty interesting as, as looking at this list, and it made me think of something, Darren, that that you and I talked about—that we would like to to get some feedbacks from our viewers, our listeners, not mm-hmm. our viewers. There's nothing to watch. <laughs> If you're watching us, you're watching that's the wrong podcast.
1: Set your phone down and put it down. The picture's not going to change.
0: So we'd like to hear from you. Who in your opinion is the best all-time best wide receiver from your favorite school? All-time best.
1: I like that a lot. I'm interested in that feedback. I've
0: already given mine.
1: Yeah, no one well, now you who, who's your you, your number
0: one was. I'm going to stick with Josh Reed. Josh Reed, that's right. Okay. I know it's very hard because we tend to look at the who was here most recently. Yeah. And Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson were phenomenal.
1: And Odell Beckham Jr. He's he, going to get a lot of because not only did he have a great LSU career, yeah. but he's going to he's going to garner attention because of his incredible NFL career as well, which doesn't necessarily. But you know that's what keeps the name in people's. Uh, in people's mind. And
0: and that's, you know, you know, sometimes the old timers people didn't see and people didn't see Michael Clayton, or they didn't see Wendell Davis, uh, play, play wide receiver. And so we, we, we base typically our opinions on who's the best on who we, he, who we watch. It's the old debate between you listen to the, the old timers, uh, Jim Brown was the greatest ever. Absolutely. You listen to guys that came after it. Walter Payton was the mm-hmm. best. And then others, no, Barry Sanders, Barry Sanders was the best. And and that debate will go on and on.
1: Yeah. So for Vanderbilt, I'll go ahead and throw mine in there. I think there is no question if you are a Vanderbilt fan. Well, actually, it's hard. It's a very hard. Because there's Jordan Matthews and there's Earl Bennett. But I think Jordan Matthews is by far uh, the best wide receiver to come out of Vanderbilt. Had a, had a, had a great NFL career. And, you know, going to that kind of recency bias thing, another Vanderbilt name that, that only the true Vanderbilt fans of, Boo Mitchell uh, from the 80s, was magnificent. Uh, in a time when Vanderbilt didn't do a whole lot to stand out, man, if he caught the ball and had just the slightest little bit of space, all of a sudden he was 40 yards down the field, nobody could catch him. He was incredible to watch as a Vanderbilt fan just because you, you, weren't, you weren't really – used to seeing that. Uh, so that would be another great name, but that doesn't fit our criteria. So mine, mine has to be Jordan Matthews. That's going to be the, – that's the, um, that's the Vanderbilt receiver, I think, that will always stand out to me. It's a little gross, but, you know, he was a guy that always gave his all. You know, I'll never forget the Ole Miss game. I think it was his senior year. They're playing in Nashville. It's pouring rain. It's just a back-and-forth, back-and-forth dogfight. And, and all of a sudden, you see him kind of get away from the rest of the team and he's throwing up over <laughs> on the 30 yard line. They, the referee sees it, so forces him to leave the game. Two plays later, he comes back in. And he catches like a 41 yard pass that keeps Vanderbilt in the game. And that's just that's Jordan Matthews in, in a nutshell. So he, he has to be the top of the Vanderbilt list.
0: Yeah, it's guys that you remember a lot of times step up on the biggest stage. Yes, and, absolutely. Um, you know, when you think about uh, Josh Reed from LSU, he has the record for most receptions, receiving yards in a game 19 catches for 293 yards. Wow. Can you name the opponent against who? My first thought would be since you said big stage would be Alabama. Alabama. That's, <laughs> that's what I was thinking, yeah. And it's like one of those moments where everyone knows who's getting the ball, but they can't do anything about it. And they still can't stop no. it. That's awesome. It's, it's like Michael Jordan in his prime. Yep, you yep. know. Yep. Everybody knows where it's going. And, and when you were talking about um, uh, your memories, and, and I think those are the things that stand out to us, the guys yep. that, that showed up big. And, and I think that's why uh, for a lot of folks uh, in Louisiana, Jamar Chase and yep. Justin Jefferson are absolutely so revered because national title. Yep. And they stepped up in, in that game. So.
1: Yeah, and and again, you watch that game, and I mean, everybody in the place knew where the ball was going. Yeah, here's your options, here's where it's going. And they just could do nothing about it. It, it looked, it should not look as easy as that teammate mm. <laughs> made it look ever. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah and if not for uh, Aaron Donald's uh, sack of burrow, you know, to effectively end the Super Bowl a couple years ago, yep. if you go back and look on that tape, Jamar Chase had beaten his man. Yep, he was he was he was open for that game winning mm-hmm. touchdown, mm-hmm. and and if someone had just blocked Donald for a second or half a second more, yep. it might have been a different income outcome. You, you you know, in the big games where the ball is going, and what, yep. that's what makes these guys so special—they yep. find a way to get open. It still works. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we'd really like to hear from you, listeners out there, who is the all-time greatest wide receiver from your favorite school. So I know we've got folks from from Tennessee and West Virginia. We've got Texas A&M fans. We've got OU fans. We've got Ole Miss, Mississippi State fans. We've got Kentucky fans. Um, Hey, Ohio State fans, you don't have to be in the SEC or the Big 12. That's right. If you're listening, let us know who the greatest receiver is from your school. Fans in Florida, hit us up. Let us know. We'd really yeah. like to hear your could feedback. could be Florida State,
1: not just SEC. It could be, If you're be, in yeah. Florida and it's Florida State, let us know.
0: Let us know Absolutely. if you've had somebody better than Dion at your school.
1: We'll, we'll listen. So, Darren, <laughs> remind
0: everybody about how they can contact us with this information.
1: Well, you can uh, either hit us up on uh, Twitter, of course, at Bruin Shavers, or Instagram at Bruin Shavers. Also, Facebook. We have Bruin Shavers uh, Facebook account as well, Brew and Shavers Sports. Then you can hit us up at brewandshavers at gmail.com is another option. And then we also have our uh, Brew and Shavers text line, 318-390-3599. And you can send us a text on that at any time. And, and Ben, you're right. I can't wait to get feedback from so many schools uh, you know, we've named the people where where we know that we've gotten interactions and feedback in, in previous times, but we're looking forward to having even more. We're looking forward to seeing it, that school that come through that, oh, we didn't even know we had a fan of that that was a listener, and 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 we get their their interaction and who they're excited about and who they think their uh, number one wide receiver at their school was. So it's going to be fun to get that, get that feedback.
0: Yeah, and this is going to be a part of a series that we're going to do throughout the, the spring uh, leading up into the early part of the summer. Uh, we're going to be posing questions like this, and we really would like to get your feedback. Next week, if I can go ahead and put a teaser out there, oh, yeah. Aaron, is that we're going to talk about if your school scheduled one non-conference rivalry game every year, an out-of-conference game, who would you most want to watch your school play?
1: That's a, To me, that's a fun one because that you know you're talking about wide open. You're not bound by conference or anything. Who is... Who do you want to see your team play year in and year out, home and home? That, that's that's gonna be fun to talk about.
0: And we we were just uh discussing this briefly, and the possibilities are so intriguing mm-hmm. of, of the kind of matchups that might develop. Yeah, and, and who you want to see
1: it not just who you want to see your team play, but who's gonna be a fun, you know, like year in and year out. Because you think, oh, well, I'd like to see them play this team, and then you talk about it like you and I. I'm just like Oh wait a minute! What about you know? And then you've come you've, you're 180 degrees the opposite direction because you're thinking about a matchup or a, a little bit of a history that you've
0: forgotten about, uh, and and now okay well now I want to play them. It, it's a fun conversation, and with the 12 team playoff expansion, mm-hmm. suddenly one loss doesn't doom you. Right, exactly. Maybe not even two losses. Yep. So it's going to be very intriguing. I can't wait for this conversation. Yes, next it'll next be a fun week. conversation. So, but before next week, let us know who the best wide receiver is at your favorite school. Contact us. We want, to, we want to share those results with everybody. And then talk a little bit about who's the best wide receiver ever in the SEC, in the Big 12, in Division One. In Division One. Well, that's a big question. There are a lot of names on that list. (laughs) We might go through two pots of coffee next week. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to another episode. We appreciate your support so much. Remember that new episodes drop every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., except the Tuesday after the Men's National Championship basketball game. That's
1: right. And the National Football championship.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Because those are really late nights for us. and
1: That's rough. We're not quite as young as we used to be. Exactly.
0: And Darren is the production crew. You can listen on any platform that you listen to podcasts on, any time of convenience in your car while you're walking uh, in a meeting that you're really bored out of your mind you just put in some earbuds (laughs) don't let anybody know exactly but thank you so much for listening to us until next tuesday y'all take care
1: have a great week thank you for making the brew and shaver sports podcast your go-to sports show be sure to subscribe rate and review our show if you haven't already your feedback is important let us know what you think about this week's show Send an email to brewandchavers at gmail.com or text to our text line, 318-390-3599. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for listening to the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. See you next week.